0: A city divided, a family fractured, two brothers caught between past and present. Published by Knopf Books for Young Readers, Berliners, a new novel by National Book Award nominee Vesper Stamper, is a riveting story about the rivalry between two brothers living on opposite sides of the Berlin Wall during its construction in the 1960s and how their complicated legacy and dreams of greatness will determine their ultimate fate. This powerfully prescient and haunting book is a perfect gift for young readers and has a lot to offer to grown ups as well. But then again I am biased, as yours truly had the honor and the pleasure of narrating the audio version of this wonderful novel. So please support free thinking, independent artists and purchase Berliners by Vesper Stamper from your favorite bookseller today. Make sure to check out the link in the show notes below. Hello there, you beautiful people. I've got a question for you. Do you drink coffee or tea? Of course you do, you beautiful bastard. And that is precisely why I want to tell you about my sponsor, Twin Engine Coffee. Twin Engine Coffee grows and roasts specialty-grade coffees right on the farms in Central America. And guess what? If you happen to be a snob like me and are much too pretentious to drink coffee, you can enjoy some Katura tea, my personal favorite, which is made from the dried fruit of the coffee plant. You take you some ginger root, a couple lemon slices, some honey, and a dash of cayenne powder, and you'll have an even sexier concoction than all the hipsters tapping away at their laptops at that high-end cafe around the corner. So again, if you enjoy great coffee or tea, support small business and this podcast by ordering from twinenginecoffee.com slash CliftonDuncan. Again, that is twinenginecoffee.com slash CliftonDuncan. There's a link in the show notes below. And now, enjoy the show. Hello there, ladies, gentlemen, and as always, everyone in between. My name is Clifton Duncan, this is my podcast. Uh, Thank you once again for joining us for another enriching, uh, accessible, and um, let's say illuminating conversation about culture and art and society at large. Today, as always, we have a very special guest and a conversation for you. Um, but first, you know, as always, we got to do a little bit of housekeeping. If you like this content, um, please like it, uh, share, uh, subscribe. If you love it, share it with your friends. If you hate it, share it with your enemies. And as a matter of fact, friends and enemies will be a central theme, perhaps, of our discussion today. Um, so recently, anyone who's been following uh, comic books uh, might have been aware of the of the cancellation of the recent Superman comic. Now, for those who are unfamiliar with this territory, um, and uh, my guests will correct me if I'm wrong on the details, but uh, the uh, the classic Superman, which we know as uh, Clark Kent, aka Kal-El, was sort of shoved to, to the side in favor of his son, John Kent, um, and uh, big waves were made because uh, John Kent happens to be a bi uh, bisexual and queer now we're not here to talk about the progressive tokenization of uh, various racial uh, sexual minorities and women, that could be a whole different podcast, uh, but I do want to talk uh, about it or use that event as a jumping off point for the destruction of the traditional hero, maybe the deconstruction of the traditional hero and heroism in our stories and perhaps in our culture at large. And uh, maybe uh, particularly the destruction of male or masculine heroism. And there are few people that are more qualified to have this discussion than uh, my current guest who uh, calls himself, he has a channel called The Fourth Age on YouTube. Uh, I believe he's also RJ of the Island on Twitter, but I will let Uh, I'm going to shut up right now and let him introduce himself and tell you a little bit about his background and uh, um, perhaps establish a little bit of credibility before we continue. RJ, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me.
1: Um, I've just introduced myself. My name is RJ Shaw. Um, I have, as you said, a YouTube channel called uh, The Fourth Age, and it is centered around the concept of hero. I crack into that idea by looking at pop culture and heroes within our pop culture, but that's where I start and usually I go from there into the literary, the historical, the political, the philosophical, everywhere I can go to explore the idea of hero. Uh, Besides that, I publish graphic novels under the fourth age comics and I've also started to dip my toe a little bit into writing articles for uh, thelotuseaters.com. I have, if you're looking for my background, Uh, A few degrees under my belt, uh, mostly in political theory. Um, um, I went through a master's program for classical political theory, which is why I'm always talking about old ideas, the Western civilization way to do things, going straight back to, usually we stop at Aristotle, but sometimes we can go back as far as the fall of Troy in my videos. But that's what I try to do, is to give a historical, philosophical, literary background to that idea of a hero, bring it forward to our pop culture heroes, and show why... What is being presented to us today is not in any way, shape, or form what Western civilization means as a hero and what has been set up for nearly 3,000 years in our culture as the prototype of a hero.
0: Well, I couldn't have asked for a a better response to that. I mean, it's just, um, uh, I I, I so enjoy your commentary and... um, within the past couple of years specifically for me and uh, a central theme of this podcast has been revisiting the classics. Um, you know, I spent a long time as an actor on what's called a classically trained actor. So, you know, texts from, uh, from the ancient Greeks, uh, Shakespeare, or even uh, more later on plays like, you know, Chekhov and these kinds of things. But, um, the, you know, I, that's where my background is. And I look at these stories of today and, um, you know, I, I just, there's been this constant theme among, uh, on my channel and the conversations I've been having that there's just something that's missing. There's something that's been missing for quite some time to the extent where, you know, I think a lot of people that I know, um, and certainly probably a lot of your, your listeners, a lot of people who are sort of swimming in this circle, they find themselves going back to old movies. Um, and I find, you know, I was a comics fan when I was a kid. And then I revisited them as an adult and I find that I'm going back to runs from the 80s and the 90s and even um, even uh, before that, um, for my jollies um, and touching and getting back in touch with my inner child. And, um, you know, so it seems like there's something um, that's been kind of amiss. and I think you are hitting on with your commentary something uh, very, very important so I guess where I would start is. um, examining Superman. It's a character I'm not very familiar with. I appreciate uh, I, I appreciate that he's the most, you know, probably the most well-known superhero, but um, I've never really been a huge fan of the character. So then my question for you is, what do you think um, has made Superman such an enduring uh, force in our popular culture and society? Well, I think,
1: honestly, this may just be me, but I think the most Uh, Influential person to write Superman, certainly, that has brought him into the mind of current day people would be Jim Shooter. Um, When he wrote Superman for DC, he started writing Superman when he was, I think, 16 years old. It might have been even earlier. Hmm. Um, This was back in the uh, 60s. And he saw Superman as the prototypical hero that was Sir Galahad. He was taking Sir Galahad and bringing him forward into modern stories, and that's the character that he wrote. Uh, he, He goes so far as to say that if you have a writer who can't write Superman as Sir Galahad, then get a new writer. And he went on from there, of course, to um, become the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics during the heyday of Marvel Comics during the 80s. He's the one who brought that company into line. And so his ideas of heroism, I think, um, were very influential within comics. And it, it helped shape comics and the stories that we see around us today, certainly, um, to a great degree. So that's where I think Superman in popular culture within the mindset of everyone who thinks about him they think about him as uh, the big blue and red boy scout and i think that comes from jim shooters putting him down on the page as sir galahad and this traditional hero because he's drawing on the prototypical traditional hero the most pure of those heroes because if you know anything about the uh, the myths and legends of sir galahad um he was one of the three who was able to to get to the Holy Grail. Um, his father who was Lancelot wasn't pure enough even though he was a stalwart hero, one of the greatest heroes in Western civilization. Um, he wasn't pure enough. So this idea of purity and it did run through certainly um, the legends that we have for the Knights of the Round Table, um, it focuses on what Western civilization always focuses on for a traditional hero which is virtue and virtue, As opposed to vice. And that's what we see within this Boy Scout of Superman. He is the prototypical embodiment of virtue. And that's why he needs to be destroyed within the popular culture of today, because people have taken vice and tried to turn it into virtue and tried to take virtue and turn it into vice. And so this destruction of Superman as a character, which has been going on for a number of years now to try to dehumanize him in a way that is to make him seem less and less heroic until they finally tried to get rid of him they're going to try to take him put him back in the fold now because this new superman didn't take but because of that um it is part of the cultural shift that we have seen over the last 10 years and people have been pushing and are pushing right now um and that destruction of this character which many people might see it's just a comic book character who cares It's not just a comic book character. It's an ideal and certainly an ideal for America. Um, One of the things one of the newer writers for Superman um, is Gene Yang. And he has tried to a number of times get rid of that statement of Superman's, which is uh, truth, justice and the American way. He has gotten rid of that and tried to replace it with truth, justice and tolerance. And um, I did a video about him trying to explain what he meant by tolerance, and it is very much a progressivism of today, which it's not the, certainly not the the dictionary definition of tolerance. Um, it is basically progressive ideology. And again, that strikes at the heart of what we see as a hero and certainly what, an American hero, the prototypical American hero is, which is Superman.
0: Well, you know, as you were speaking about virtue and vice, um, a question that popped up for me is, um, is the anti-hero, is that like a a sort of a, a a more recent phenomenon in your experience? Or is, you know, because... I I too have seen um, that there is a big confusion now about what constitutes heroism and what constitutes uh, villainy, and um, it, it seems in, in a lot of ways. I mean, I I, I once um, I once tweeted that uh, you know it, it's really difficult to see people that should be celebrated being condemned while people who should be condemned are celebrated in our popular culture. Um, but but my question for you is. Um, Sort of an offshoot is uh, what about anti heroes in our culture? I'm thinking of characters like maybe the maybe the Punisher, for instance. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Well,
1: the typical definition of an anti hero is someone who does right, even though they don't really intend to do right. That is to say, that their actions are led by something else into what would categorize them as a hero. And I think it is a recent phenomenon and one that stretches back to ancient times, just because of the fact that, um, as I'm always saying, with the idea of virtue is tied up the idea of will. Um, But for the ancients, there was a different idea of what the will is for the Christians. And this comes into play around 380 AD with um, Augustine of Hippo, when he redefines for the entire Western Western civilization, the idea of what the will is. Excuse me. But When he does that, and we still use his definition of will today, uh, when he does that, he puts the entire emphasis on the individual and their individual choice in order to determine where they go and what they do. But for the ancients, it was much more bound up with these larger forces, uh, forces like Ate and Moira and destiny, fate, all these kinds of things. These larger forces that would control you, even though you did have some freedom to choose all these other larger forces chose a lot of things for you, and I see a harkening back to these ancient ideas again within popular culture that there are these larger forces controlling your destiny. And right now, we see it within the progressive movement as you know things like misogyny or um, what systemic racism or the the journey of the planet, which are just there to um, to tag along with all these kinds of large forces control your life. And I think that, quite honestly for me, I I don't like the idea of an anti-hero because it removes the agency from what heroism actually is. Because for a traditional hero, again, it's an act of a will, which leads to virtue, which leads to a virtuous outcome to their actions. It's all tied up into the first virtue, which is prudence, which is correct decision-making. So if you get rid of that element, sure, you get a character that is doing things that eventually turn out to seem heroic. But if that deliberate act of the will is not there, which it isn't with an anti-hero, then I personally would not call them heroes. Hmm. Um, And I again, I could see within the 80s and the 90s that kind of Punisher hero being an exploration for people to say, hey, wait a second, maybe let's go back to these old ancient ideas and explore a little bit of what if the will didn't interact in this way. But for today, when we see an anti-hero that's full on, you don't have your own will. It's controlled by other forces and um, you're just along for the ride. You don't really have any say in what actually happens. So um, I don't like the idea of an anti-hero again. It's an interesting thought experiment in my estimation, but it's not somewhere that we should go with as a mainstream idea
0: of what a hero is, hmm. it makes me think about um, you know a, a character doing all the right things, but in all the wrong ways, and maybe for the wrong reasons. I mean, I, I think about um, a lot of my favorite Punisher stories, were by Garth Ennis, and a running uh, a running theme in all of those stories is that there's always one character that uh, that uh, that looks at what Frank Castle does and say, and, and they say, I really hate what you do, and I hate the way that you do it. But I can't deny that you get results so it's always nice I think um, I think smart writers always include that kind of other voice who says, Okay, what you're doing, I mean you're doing what you're doing but it's still it's still not quite heroic. Um, but going back to Superman a little bit and nailing down some specifics. Um, I'm, I'm curious as to hear your your thoughts and uh, maybe your ramblings about uh, why Superman embodies this heroic ideal. Wh- why Clark Kent Superman is this heroic ideal versus why John Kent Superman failed and how it does not embody the heroic ideal.
1: I think it all has to do with action. Um, this is the exact thing of why Superman has gotten canceled. Uh, Tom Taylor, who is the writer and has been for. How many issues are out now? I think about eight or more. Um, he has specifically sat down in interviews and said that this character is not about action. Um, he doesn't do things. Uh, he.
0: Action he, comics? Quite literally.
1: <laughs> yes. Honestly, that's one of the things I bring up. Superman came into existence in DC comics with action comics, but he specifically <laughs> wanted this character not to have an active role in what's going on. He. Wants him simply to be sympathetic or to talk to people. And he never throws a punch. He, he makes a big deal about he completely goes through these, this run of his without really punching anybody. And that's why it's gotten canceled. They, they literally stated that um, since it's gotten canceled, they're going to reboot it, give him a couple of issues. I think six more issues as a miniseries to tie it up. And he himself tried to backpedal saying, oh, yeah, now I'm going to include some action. Whereas it didn't before but that's that's really the heart of the difference between this new superman and and clark kent it's the lack of action from that hero um because as i have said in some of my videos um if you have virtue it's predicated upon action um you have to have like i always say go back to aristotle and the definition of virtue they they separate them into four virtues and in a very specific Uh, manner, which is uh, prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance, and Hmm. that has carried through all the way through the Middle Ages and into the modern era. They still discuss virtue in that way. It's preceded by right reason, which is your reason in accord with reality. But when you look at all of that, again, it's predicated upon an act of the will. Um, Virtues themselves can be defined in various ways, but they're a habit. And the habit is something that you do to put yourself in a, a ready position to be in a position between um, action and simple um, potential. So if you wanna be more than potentially something, if you wanna be ready to actually get something done, to act, you put yourself in that mean position between those two things um, with habit. And that habit is an action. And so if you don't have action at all, if you simply have a character that is reacting or at the very least just going along with other characters and what's going on and larger forces, as I said, around him, then you don't have a hero. And that's one of the things about Superman and a lot of the other heroes that are traditional heroes that we see in our media today with all of the comic book entertainment that is out there is that they're predicated upon action. Um, So, If that is taken out of the equation, if they're not primed and ready to act, then they don't jump into action when they see a crime being committed. Mm -hmm. Um, Within these new comics, again, I'm always talking about the fact that they sit there and wring their hands. Um, They make excuses. Why not to do things? There was a comic out um, probably about six months ago where that man was sitting on a, a ledge looking at a store being looted and uh, he did nothing. He justified to himself that, well, I have bigger things to do. Therefore I'm just not going to deal with this because they have insurance and some, something else will cover this. See, that's not a hero. He's not ready to jump into action. We know because he's not acting when something <laughs> goes in front of him, which is injustice. So again, that is the nub of what is going on here with this character. And, like I said, Tom Taylor, the man who wrote this character and brought him into where we are right now, quite literally stated himself that he wanted to make this character around inaction, or at the very very least, he said pass passivity. I think is the way that he uh, he had put it on the page. But again, that's that's not a hero.
0: You know, it's fascinating because uh, you know we we talk about or you're talking about virtue and. Uh, we use the term virtue signaling a lot, often very derisively. And uh, my sense is that we have these people who are creating these stories now who have a very different set of virtues or things that they view as virtues. I mean, it seems to me that what you're saying is, and i've experienced this as well is that these ideas of maybe pacifism is seen as a as a virtue Um, caring for others is is seen as as a virtue and sure in in specific situations uh, those certainly can be virtues but um, it's not the same as action or strength and i this is one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you as well is that there there is a broader sense of you know you're talking about action talking about um fighting fighting on behalf of the right things justice these are often seen as very uh sort of masculine ideals and I, I think it leads to a different discussion of um i mean i'm somebody who has been in the acting industry or at least who was before he was purged um and for me i began to become very dismayed with many of the scripts that i would be uh, that i would that i was given to uh, to peruse because I, I began i became very frustrated because you know I was like dude i'm you know I'm, i've i've got great vitality and charisma i'm 6-3 like you know i want to play men i don't want to play these sort of wishy-washy kind of um uh um weak um inact like you said inactive guy so i i wonder if it's if it can lead to a broader discussion about um what we view as um as ideal or virtue or, or virtuous um from a masculine perspective because it seems like what you're talking about and I I I've, I've experienced these people who who see any kind of show of force as bad having strength is bad um I mean do you, do you get that sense as well is it, it it seems to be a uniquely a uniquely anti-masculine sort of um of vision of the world that's sort of taken over much of our storytelling apparatuses
1: yes definitely and I think where to go with that discussion is the fact that, yes, I can see compassion and all these other things that they normally speak about as being virtuous in some way, but that's not why they talk about them. Why they typically gravitate towards them and talk about them and concentrate on them is to ensure that they take the agency away from individuals. They always concentrate on a group mentality. So, they're trying to do is to go to the more passive virtues and say okay there are passive virtues but they're not concentrating on them as being part of the entire whole of virtues as in to say strength is also good whereas compassion is good but just on a different level they're trying to concentrate on those passive virtues in order to pacify the individual so that they give up their agency to act as an individual and simply act as part of the group. And that, again, brings us back to an act of the will. Again, you have agency within yourself, within Western civilization. Again, I always go back to Augustine of Hippo. That idea that we still use of the will. You are in control of where you go, what you do, and your eventual outcome of your life. And that is all you. It always comes down to you. Certainly, there can be um, these larger things that, influence where you want to go and what happens with your life. But at the end of the day, it comes down to you as an individual acting as an individual. And that's a very masculine trait because as I said, at the other end of the spectrum, you have one end of the spectrum, you have compassion. Another one at the other end of the spectrum, you have strength. Um, again, that spectrum is one of how much action is included within trying to express these virtues within your life. Uh, and again, um, with these stronger ones, with these more masculine ones, it's definitely there and in your face that this is an individual action that I choose. And they can't deal with that at all. And that's why they try to strip the idea of those virtues, um, like, like justice and uh, courage. They try to strip them of any kind of legitimacy because It's right there, front and center, that this is an individual action and choice. They want you to gravitate towards the more passive virtues in order to pacify the individual, in order to make them part of the group. And when they do that, again, I don't want to say that uh, there are bad virtues in the fact that something like compassion is, is not a virtue. I certainly think it is. But again, they're using it in order to get something else done and to pacify the individual and certainly to pacify the male individual because i uh, i'm always talking about human nature and uh, how virtues relate to human nature and i believe that men and women um, we have the same human nature although we are not the same so men interact with virtue in a different way than women even though they are the same virtues men concentrate on More active ones where women concentrate on more passive ones. And again, you'll see this um, split that they're always trying to make uh, between men and women within this progressive movement. And that is, once again, to lead you down that path to say that the female way is the only way that we should be doing things. That's why they use terminology like empowerment, that's supposed to be female power as opposed to. Power itself, that word is in feminist circles anyways, um, always denoted as a destructive masculine thing, if you just use power instead of empowerment. So it's always to take you down a path which will make you more and more passive in order to get rid of that individual will that you can say to yourself, yeah, I am in control of my own destiny. Uh, it's, it's like if we go back to, let's say, the end of a human being, like the founding fathers, had laid down for us you want to be an agency for yourself you're looking for um you know life liberty in the pursuit of happiness uh, the whole american ideal is dependent upon hey guess what we ensure as a government that you have your rights protected so you as the individual can pursue those ends and that's again the quality of pursuing the ends of a human being Another definition of virtue right there, Um, an ancient definition of virtue. But again, it is an attack upon the male standard because the male standard is one of action and individual action where you are steeped in ideas like prudence because prudence is correct decision-making. And then that leads into justice, which is how I treat other people, rendering them their due, and courage, which is fortitude in another form. That is to say, I act in this way and i'm going to continue to do so even though i have something that is acting against me trying to stop me from doing this that action is at the central heart of what it is and these progressive people are always trying to take that away and the forefront of that is to take away masculinity
0: that's so much to respond to there uh thank you for that you know I, i think about um you know, I really came, I really became uh, turned on by um, by the character of Thor recently as, a, as an adult. It wasn't a character that I thought that I would be um, really that that interested in. But when I began to dig into more of his uh, more of his stories and I realized that I, I love I love the character because he's not you know, he doesn't have the IQ of a Tony Stark or a Peter Parker. But and he can be brash, he can be reckless. But what I always loved about him is that, you know, his virility, his, uh, his strength, and he, he always has the will to fight for what's right. And he's courageous. And he, you know, his mission is to protect the people of Asgard. And there's, you know, and there's that also that that dimension of it uh, to him where, you know, he can't lift his magical hammer unless he's worthy of the hammer. So there must be an underlying virtue there. And um, when I saw avengers Endgame, and i saw the way that they really destroyed that character that's what i was thinking um the, the entire time like you know they they have to break down the most masculine character of all of the characters because i mean even on top of all of his strength and his and his um, and his tenacity and his sense of justice and what's right and what's wrong um a running theme through a lot of the, through a lot of the comics is that you know he's also very very sexually appealing to the opposite sex and you mentioned the split of the sexes right now, which is kind of ironic, because at the same time as we're seeing the erosion of these more masculine traits and ideals, um, there also is this sense of, well, female empowerment, but oftentimes, uh, but it's a little bit contradictory, isn't it, because they are while they're talking about female empowerment, they're also trying to break down and deconstruct, if you will, the notion of what a woman even is. And so you have this situation where a lot of these, uh, quote unquote, empowered characters seem to be just really mediocre versions of male characters or, or characters who have sort of a, maybe they're a bastardized version of a caricature of these male traits, which is really fascinating. Um, and the last thing I want to touch on is this idea of personal agency. And I remember... You know and and not to get too political here but but there is one side of the aisle or one faction which is doing this, and I remember that as, as a as a black man um I reached this epiphany in about twenty sixteen or so, and I said, you know, if you are a black person and you happen to have this sense of you know." I have, I control my own destiny. I have my own sense of personal agency. I'm self-actualized and self-possessed. Then these people, they not only have no uh, no use for you politically, um, they despise you socially. So it's a very, it's sort of like a baked in feature to this uh, particular kind of quote, unquote progressive ideology. I, I always use the term uh, progressive in, in quotation marks. I really think that
1: what they're trying to do is to get rid of the masculine, first and foremost. That's what they're trying to do with creating these new idea of a hero. Um, again, but it comes down to political motivation because um, I've covered podcast after podcast and article after article on my channel where I listen to these people speak directly. I'm not going off of what others say about them. I'm, right. I'm listening to the words that come straight out of their mouths. Um, and it always comes back to a political motivation. Some of them just come right out and state it, Um, like Kelly Sue DeConnick, who created the new version of Captain Marvel, which we see in the movies, Um, and also G. Willow Wilson, um, who helped create Miss Marvel. Uh, People like this, they, they come right out and say, it's a political motivation, and they just lay it out bare that if you're not on their side of the political aisle, then these stories aren't for you. And... This is where I get into the literary part of what I'm always talking about, how you identify what a real story is and how hero fits into that entire thing. Um, they're not creating stories. They're creating, well, at its heart, it's propaganda, but it might be some kind of pangyric about um, the, I don't know, what they would call the virtue. It's not real virtue, but what they would call the virtue of progressivism um, and trying to... Sell you the political ideals. And that's why these new, quote unquote, new heroes are just the old heroes slipped on their head. Um, you'll see that usually done by the new hero who is some kind of minority, uh, su- supposedly, if this, they use females to replace males a lot of the time, but um, <laughs> they must they must take the old hero and take them down a peg to show that, yeah, I'm better than you are. Uh, It's not a swapping of the mantle to say, let's continue on with new stories because we want new stories and we think we can tell a good story by switching things up a bit. No, it's those old stories are problematic and so are those old characters. Therefore, we have to not only downplay them and replace them, but we have to demonize them by showing that the new hero, who is someone who believes or embodies progressive ideals, is a true hero compared to those older characters who are shown to be inadequate and ineffectual and basically buffoons at this point.
0: Hmm. You know, it's, um, it's fascinating because I see a lot of people who become critical of maybe channels like yours or commentary uh, or conversations like the one we're having right now when they'll say, you know, guys, this is a bunch of stuff written for kids. Why do you care so much? And um, my response to that is that, you know, that, that is kind of the point, isn't it? Is that, do we really want our children to be inspired by and guided by these new quote unquote progressive virtues, which will, which, ha- which will which erode these ideas of what, uh, of what virtue and what vice is, and on a broader scale, um, sort of confuse the issue as to what good and what evil is. Do you really, do we really want a society where we have a bunch of young people um, and who eventually become adults who have no idea of of uh, what the difference between good and evil is. And, you know, I think when I was a kid, I think of when I was a kid and, uh, you know, I, I discovered um, the Indiana Jones trilogy and the Star Wars trilogy at around the same time. and I almost lost my mind. You know, I um, I would steal my mother's uh, curtain rods, much to her chagrin, and go and try to, uh, you know, fake have fake lightsaber duels uh, with the kids in the neighborhood. But there was always this idea. And I don't know if I don't know if, if women have this uh, sort of impulse, but this, there's always this idea of like you want to kind of save the world and you want to to you want to be the the hero you want to be the one who defeats evil and uh, and and rescues the people that you care about but it seems like now that's sort of seen as a, 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 an outdated sexist trope and i'm saying well you know maybe it is a little a little quaint maybe it is a, a little old but um doesn't mean that it's wrong and do we really want a society full of people who can't distinguish between um right and wrong I think that ties together a lot of things that we've just been talking about. I too,
1: even though I grew up in a traditional atomic family, I had good role models, both my mother and my father, uh, growing up in the 70s and the 80s, still at that point, there was a confusion and certainly confusion within me about what actually constitutes a man and how do I be manly when I start to grow up? And I took, like you, I took a lot of um, what I started with from the heroes that I had known as a kid. And that's the thing. You got to look at these old stories as well. Um, If you go back 100, 200 years, what were children reading? What were they they given to read? They were given heroic stories to read. They were given Homer and Hesiod. They were given the Aeneid. You know, after that, about around the 1900s, they were given, you know, and earlier than that, stories of King Arthur. Um, They were given Celtic myth, all these kinds of things. And if that doesn't, If that doesn't have a place within your society, then you're missing a key element of the education of individuals. And this goes back to Superman, because I think Superman is, in some sense, Clark Kent is the embodiment of an Aristotelian idea of how a person should be brought up and how they become a hero. Because he was given an exemplary upbringing by his parents who taught him so much about humility, and the use of his power. And that's what Aristotle's always talking about when he talks about children. It's that you need to give these children, you bring up as parents, you need to give them an understanding of virtue through your actions, through your examples, so that they have the habit of acting in a virtuous way, so that when they gain their own agency and become adults, and it is their chance to make those choices, They know how to choose, and they know what to choose to be in the right. And that's the story of Superman. That's the story of his upbringing. That's the story of so many of the heroes that we see through Western civilization. And even though we might be talking about comic book stories, yeah, for us, for you, for me, for so many kids, and for the people who are being brought up today, if those stories are missing and... Right now, there is so much confusion within society. And again, as I said, even back in the 70s and the 80s, there was so much confusion about how to be masculine at that point. If they don't have some kind of example, like a Superman, like a King Arthur, if they don't have that to pull on, if, it's, if that thread is not there to pull on, then you're missing something that is an essential point of the upbringing of a good individual. And again, it all goes back to, because Aristotle and Plato and so many other thinkers always talk about myth and how we should properly talk about myth and what myths we should get rid of in order to have good citizens, in order to have good individuals. These stories, and again, that's why why I go back to the literary part of this, even back to the ancient literary part of this, but these stories are key within the upbringing of a good society, within a good society and individual. And if you're missing that, and again, I don't think they should be there as propaganda. I don't think they should be there as is being used by progressives right now in order to indoctrinate people. As I always say, the propaganda definition that I go back to is like a 1949 definition of propaganda. It's a way of teaching people something that gets around their rational mind. That's what propaganda is. And that's what these stories are right now. Traditional stories are meant to do the exact opposite. They're meant to give you the tools to understand the world around you and your place in it. So that when it comes time for you to engage your will and make those choices, you know, at the very least, at, at, I don't know how to put it exactly. You have the fundamental tools to do what needs to be done.
0: Mm. You know, another way to look at it, um, last week I spoke to uh, a wonderful uh, woman named Mary McDonald Lewis, and uh, actress, voice actress, and and I asked her about, um, we talk about in our acting training, uh, that the concept of size. It's like when you step onto a stage, you're stepping into a tradition that is thousands and thousands of years old. You're elevated on this platform, and um, you need to and exercise your instrument as an artist enough to where you can embody the size of these great works of this great language of the Greeks of Shakespeare and et cetera. Et cetera. And what she said really stuck with me, um, and I thought I found it was really profound, you know, because she, she said that uh, I'm not going to butcher it but she said that you know if we have right now, the part of the problem is that our storytellers um, are very small and they're and meaning that they're narrow in their focus and they're sort of blinded by their ideology and um if we have storytellers who are small artists who are small in in the sense that we're talking about um that it makes the people small so it just makes me think about what you were saying you know it's not only it not only uh creates a society or a culture where people um, don't have the tools or capacity or the understanding uh, in order to, in order to act uh, virtuously but they also they become sort of small and self-absorbed, which is sort of a reflection of the people that are creating these stories. Um, you know, in our last a little bit together, uh, I do want to shift uh, more to you and your pursuits. You, you've talked about action this entire time, and a lot of uh, commentators in this space, they, you know, they'll know, they complain about all the things that are wrong, but uh, not as many of them will take action um, in the way that you have. So you're publishing your own your own work you mentioned. Could you talk a little bit about that? I'd love to hear more about it.
1: Well, I just have the one graphic novel out right now. I'm working on the second one. The new campaign for it goes up in a couple of weeks. I usually sell via Indiegogo. Um, And they're just traditional hero stories. I usually go back to a a Marvel type of story and how to put that down on a page. Um, So um, the graphic novels are centered around a hero called Thomas Valiant. So it is about Valiant and um, being heroic Um, A lot of people thought that I was going to write more of a Superman type character in order to be an example of virtue. But I do believe that that's not the way to go with stories especially in this day and age. It's um, you got to find someone with clay feet and um, understand that he has a struggle because being heroic is a struggle. Um, You can't just Mm -hmm. present a fully formed hero and expect people to gravitate towards that and understand exactly what their motivation is i try to put the motivation of my heroes down on a page and to give the engine of their action um through the the pathos that a true hero should have they have to go through some suffering in order to become who they are and why they do the things that they do Uh, i think that is the the great um stories of marvel and to a t um that's why they took over the comic industry in the eighties and in the seventies as well, I guess, but that's what I tried to do. Um, I also have a couple of other projects on the go. I do have a novel, which I have written, which I will probably self publish after a little while, um, which focuses very much on the idea of friendship. Um, And uh, a lot of my, a lot of my writing actually focuses on uh, that particular element within human existence because uh, I find that uh, having good friends um, is not not really the key to a successful life, but it makes it so much easier. Um, and I I think that that is why I have joined together with a lot of the people that I have or the movement that I'm a part of in order to rejuvenate the stories that I'm working on to try to bring back sort of classical histor- or historical uh, and um, comic stories that have in the past sold and did well. uh, It's because I see other people that are hungry for these kinds of hero stories and hungry for um, something that is going to, as as I've been saying for the last hour, to honor the fact that, you know, I'm going to present this to you and you choose. You tell me whether it's a good story or not. You tell me uh, whether you think these people are heroic or not, uh, you choose, you tell me. And the, the great thing about it is that I have a platform where people can interact with me through my YouTube comments and uh, I can get you know almost instantaneous feedback on a lot of the things that I say. But yeah, that's what my graphic novel centered around. Um, again, my, my hero is Thomas Valiant and uh, it is a world. And it, this, this touches on what you have just been saying. Uh, I think as Europeans... Um, we have certainly in our history focused on a meta narrative, and that's what's missing within um, these small stories that you've been talking about. Uh, they don't have that meta narrative, and some might say, Well, these progressive people are trying to substitute and give us that meta narrative. Well, yeah, they are, but the point is that the meta narrative for Western civilization is usually truth. That's what we focus on. We try to center ourselves around the truth. Um, if you go back to like Aristotle and Plato, they talk about the truth, the true, the good, the beautiful. Those mm. are ideas, again, which I try to embody within my writing because we need to get back to the basics. And uh, that's how large stories, great stories are are brought into a sphere where people can not only understand them, but appreciate them. And I agree with your, your guest um, that, yeah, these small stories are... Even though they might be done well, to some extent, they're killing the Western civilization way of telling a story and the grandeur that we can be a part of simply by living to the virtuous extent of human beings.
0: Absolutely, you know, and uh, on top of all of that, I do think that there's a huge hunger, um, not just for say performers uh, who don't talk down to their audience or creators who don't talk down to their audience, but what I've also found as well uh, you know one of my for a long time, one of my most popular videos was um, was my sit down It was about a half an hour long with a, the conservative scholar and classicist Victor Davis Hansen, and we just talked about he just talked about the importance of Greek literature and what I've been very heartened by, and you know I have a few um Shakespeare sonnets as well uh, on on my um, on my YouTube page and I I look forward to uploading more, but what I've found and what I've loved is that people really, really are responding positively to this. So it's not just that uh, people are hungry for a return to these more sort of classic, uh, classic virtues. It's also that there is a hunger for stuff that is actually quite complex and sophisticated. So uh, people should take heart out there. There's a huge, uh, huge, huge marketplace and huge demand and desire for, um, for not just well-told stories, but uh, but really weighty um, uh, stories that have gravitas and pathos and all these wonderful things that that we enjoy so much. Um, his name is, uh, he is uh, at RJ of the Island on Twitter, I believe, and, and the Fourth Age on, on YouTube. Is that correct? That is correct. All righty. Well, RJ, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And uh, I, I, do you have anything else to add before we wrap up today? Uh,
1: well. If you go to my channel, if you follow me, you will be in for a bit of a roller coaster of a ride just because I touch on so many things, but I always try to bring it back to the, the idea of a hero, the, tradi- the traditional idea of a hero. Um, that's my touchstone. And if that is something that is appealing to you and I do believe, and I'm, I'm focusing my writing on it because I do believe that it is something that touches the heart of every individual. Um, and so if you want to follow me, that is the, ki- the type of story that I want to tell, whether it be within an argument within my videos or within a graphic novel or within a novel or simply within statements on Twitter. But I think that the idea of hero is in for the traditional idea of a hero is in for re- reawakening when people start to take back the agency of of i want to be an individual and i have control of my own destiny through my choices um so that is what i focus on and hopefully um that kind of idea is appealing to a larger and larger larger audience as we move into the future